Hey, welcome to uh, episode one. Let's see. Yeah, I had episode zero was the first episode because I'm a computer programmer. This is episode one of uh, Jay Flaunce's Ignorance. And uh, I've got with me Matt McKeever. And I'm just showing Matt the uh, the audacity for the first time. So it looks like our volumes are pretty good. And as long as we don't whack the table, like <laughs> what I learned last time is not to clap or whack the table because when you listen to the recording, <laughs> it's like really loud. It goes, whoop. <laughs> so, I remember that when I'm trying to applaud you, perhaps. But yeah, that's... right. Good luck. <laughs> yes, I'm Matt McKeever. I'm a partner with Koppel, Rocky, McKeever, and Schlecht uh, here in Omaha. Uh, we're a law office, and uh, yeah, from time to time, I, I suppose I come by here. It's been a little while since I've been here at Well, we met Central. at the Omaha Bitcoin group. Yes. Uh, so the, the meetup, did you start the meetup? or I did not. It was Tony Stunts, uh, okay. Dr. Stunts uh, over at... Stunts Family Dentistry and Council Bluffs that actually started the meetup online, yeah. and I was just doing a search. I was doing research about Bitcoin and ran into an Omaha meetup group. I think it was the, the morning of the meetup that I saw it. And oh, really? So I attended. And then I think you, you came by probably the following month. I think I had just been to one or two meetings. Oh, I was an early adopter. You were, you were the... an early adopter. Oh, I did well, not know Of course that. you're an early adopter. <laughs> And uh, this I, might I be felt the, like I was late to the party. Like I felt yeah. like when I showed up, yeah. everyone there had been messing with it for years. Yeah. Now a lot of the guys had messed with it years before when it was just pennies, sure. you know, at most. Yeah. And then when the price took off, then suddenly yeah. there was a lot more interest. But I never, I had never touched it, like to actually have it, like to actually trade it, yeah. uh, Bitcoin until, um, yeah, until that first meeting, I guess. Yeah. When I talked to everybody. I think it was at the first meeting where I talked to everybody into paying me. September, October. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to make sure you <laughs> told that the story. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so the uh, so the story went that we're at a Bitcoin meetup and I and we're at a pizza place and the pizza place takes you know all the normal forms of payment and I thought hey we're at a Bitcoin meetup so we have to exchange Bitcoin at the Bitcoin meetup right that sure. should be in the charter of the meetup group <laughs> so I said hey if if anybody wants me to pay them in this Bitcoin that I just got, or you can pay me in Bitcoin and then I'll pay everybody's bill on Visa or mm -hmm. cash or whatever. Well, it turns out that that transaction turned out really well for me. Yeah, because it was 125 <laughs> of Bitcoin on the night that we paid you. I remember that number specifically. So what, what did we pay you, like 60 or $70? It was yeah, I like, think so. It was maybe seven or eight-tenths of a Bitcoin, so, something like that. So at, at the time, yeah. one Bitcoin, and we gotta, we're going to have to introduce yeah. what Bitcoin is for people oh, who don't we'll know it all. That, yeah. But yeah, one Bitcoin was worth like 125 U.S. dollars. Yeah. And... I wasn't really paying attention, but I got these Bitcoin. I paid the bill of everyone's food. And then several months later, that money, that $125 worth, or was worth uh, quite a bit more. It, like, tripled, I think. So, oh, it did more than that. Oh, did it? If you had, if you had <laughs> you know, eight tenths of a Bitcoin, 125, it went up 10 times. It was up to $1,200. I never but sold it at sold the, it. Oh, at the peak, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, no. But still, I, didn't, I didn't get a 10x out of it. It but was yeah. like $600 or $700 when you sent out the yeah. email going, oh, wait, do I still have these? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, wow. we sent an email to you. Like, hey, Jay, do you still have those Bitcoins that we gave you? Yeah. Well, no, and I... The answer I, was yes. There's all these stories about, uh, you know, people that were surprised or caught off guard or people that have lost Bitcoin over the years and news events still occurring where people, where it makes news, where someone lost 30,000 Bitcoins, I think, just last week, right? So when, and we'll have to explain. So why don't we yeah. start at the beginning? 
And, you know, what is Bitcoin? And I'll jump in. You've given long presentations uh, with tons of information, and you're pulling out right now. They only seem long when I'm doing them. No, no. (laughs) No, they have to be long. You have to go slowly so that I can understand it. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's just it's an amazing alternative currency. Uh, But I'll I'll let you you explain what Bitcoin is. Yeah. When people ask me if I'm in an elevator, the elevator speeches is that Bitcoin is digital cash. It's the equivalent of cash, but over the Internet. And it's effectively a digital ledger book that everyone can contribute to and place inputs in the form of electronic keys that you own. That's what you control. And that's basically all Bitcoin is. It's a ledger book, and we're placing entries in and on the ledger book. That's almost oversimplification, of course, but that's essentially what it is. So, like, if I'm explaining this to my mom, though, what I would say is it's an alternate currency, right? Like, what I would say is, oh, yeah, instead of using U.S. dollars, wouldn't I tell my mom, hey, you can go in and you can, you know, buy things with Bitcoin and your company could pay you in Bitcoin and you could start spending Bitcoin instead of dollars. You could do that, yeah. Some people call it a virtual currency or a digital currency, but everyone seems to use the word currency. So it's different from... You know, those frequent flyer miles or credits online or things you get from your bank for free, those are kind of digital credits in a way. But these are a little bit more useful, of course, a lot more useful. Uh, You can transmit them instantly to anywhere on the planet with little or no fees at all, and it's just a wonder. And for someone who's been involved in, in commerce and commercial law and seeing how things work or don't work sometimes... It's just amazing to see how you can transmit money to someone in Japan. Just bam, it's done instead of waiting a day and a half for the wire transfer to go through. So. Yeah. And being very, I'm a computer programmer and you're very technically savvy and a lawyer. So you understand far more than I do about the I legal that. implications. Oh, okay. well, implications. Maybe, maybe the legal, certainly not the technical. <laughs> well, no, I, my, my, my technical knowledge of Bitcoin is very shallow. I think you know it better than I do. Like the, the actual, that when, when you get into the mathematics of the, but anyway, before we get to that stuff, um, so if if I'm telling my mom, hey, this Bitcoin thing is something you can buy and sell as, as an alternative currency, and you already talked about, well, it's, it can also be a uh, an, an investment vehicle. Did, Could did be. we? Yeah. So there's there's so many things you can do with it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but who like who in Omaha like right now? Where can I? Uh, where could I buy? Like, say I wanted to try Bitcoin, how would I yeah. get those and, and where would I uh, spend those? Right now, it seems like the best or the easiest place to get Bitcoins is the automatic teller machine, Bitcoin teller machine that Alpha Bitcoin helped place in Exarban Village at Jones Brothers Cupcakes, who now accepts Bitcoin, by the way. And there's actually a party tomorrow night, come to think of it. Uh, which, unfortunately, you might have to miss, I'm told. Yeah. But there's a party uh, tomorrow night at Jones Brothers at 5 o'clock to uh, celebrate the opening and operation of this Bitcoin teller machine. And that's where you can bring cash. You put the cash in, and it spits out a QR code with your Bitcoin wallet, and you can start spending your Bitcoins. So that's, that's the easiest and fastest way. Uh, there are other ways, too, but uh, that's that's one way for someone just to pop in and get Bitcoins on the spot. At Jones Brothers Bitcoin, have they been accepting Bitcoin like last fall? Because I first saw like the meetup announcement of the Bitcoin ATM 
uh, was going to be there, but yeah. I but it's been physically sitting there for a while, right? Are they turning it on tomorrow night, or has it already been on, or it's what been is on. the? It works. Oh, right it does now. work. Okay. Yes, it's just they're having the grand open. I think it's been on about a month. Oh, okay. And, yeah, uh, I don't know for sure, but it's been on for a little while, and tomorrow is just the the grand opening. As yeah. It were. So the so so if I walk up to this machine because I haven't been there yet, yeah. I walk up to this machine and can I? Interact with it like a U.S. dollars ATM as well. Like, can I, um, can I pull money directly out of like my checking account out of the Visa network and get Bitcoin credit, or is it only a Bitcoin machine, or does it take U.S. dollars through a scanner, or like how does it? What does it do? If, if it, it takes Bitcoin and gives cash, or vice versa, so you can uh, you can bring Bitcoin to it and scan it in, and it will give you cash. Or you can put cash in it and you get Bitcoin out. It doesn't connect, as far as I know, to any other system. And you can't necessarily direct wire your bank account to it, at least not yet, as far as I know. There are other services that do that, but that usually takes some time because the uh, the financial institution needs to link up with your bank account. They need to verify where your bank account is. You need to have an active account. Uh, they need to send some test transactions, so it takes a couple days a place like Coinbase would do that, but they take a couple of days and they charge some fees for that. So the physical money is all U.S. dollars that's in this ATM. That's right. Yep. Okay. And then Bitcoin is a virtual currency. There is no, well, there can be, but there doesn't have to be any physical presence of the actual Bitcoin. That's right. Right? Yes. There's no actual coin that, that is an official Bitcoin at all. So right. So if I give you Bitcoin, what, is, what does that mean? That means you've placed an entry on the digital ledger book granting your <laughs> the transfer of some codes representing a certain amount of bits or bitcoins from your side of the ledger book to my side of the ledger book. It's basically a credit and debit system. So that's that's all I got is basically what you'd get if you go to your bank account online and you transfer account money from one of your accounts to another one of your accounts. That's it's very similar. That's how I envision it anyway. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, and I, tr I try to explain these things to, like, my parents. Um, so we can both be on our laptops, and I can send them Bitcoin, and now they have Bitcoin, and I no, lo no longer have it because it's been transferred. Yeah. But when it comes to, like, an, an ATM machine where you said it can scan your Bitcoin and then kick out U.S. dollars, what it's doing there is I've got a, a printout that I brought from my computer, right? So I log in. To my secured environment, whatever secured environment I'm comfortable with, whether that's my laptop or my cell phone or my iPad or whatever. So I log into my software, whatever that is. I can print one of these QR codes, one of these big square scanny codes. Uh, uh, and off of that QR code, that is an address. I'm going to screw this up, so correct me when I screw this up. <laughs> that is a, a, a public address, is that right? Of that's right, the public key. Yeah, of, sure of the Bitcoin that I own, but is that the, if I'm scanning it into the machine, is that a public key or a private at that to, point? I haven't tried it since its first day, actually. Yeah. Ed Weiniger, the head of Alpha Bitcoin, pulled it out of its crate with a crowbar. Uh, that's the last time I used it, and I think it, uh, it, gives you a piece of paper with your public key and a QR code for that, so it can be scanned easily, and then your private key. And your public key is the address that you give to everyone else and say, uh, transmit your Bitcoin to this uh, public address. Yeah. And that's the address, that's the kind of the wallet address, as it were, as to 
the credit that you get for your bitcoins. And then along with that, in order to send the bitcoin to that public address, you need your private key, which is also there and on a, on a QR code. And that's what you do not want to give to anyone except maybe this ATM or whenever you're transmitting. Uh, it might be a file on your computer, but that's you keep that as private as possible because that's that unlocks your wallet and allows someone to send Bitcoin anywhere they want to send it. Yeah. So uh, that's, you keep that private. So my, so my public key is kind of like my email address. It's that's just right. an address that anyone can have access to because mm-hmm. they can't take my money. But they could send me money at That's my right. my email address, my public key. Yeah, your private address, contra- on the contrary, is uh, of course something you don't want to share. The best summary I've seen has been an eight-year-old online describing Bitcoin. That was her claim to fame as an eight-year-old being able to describe really? Bitcoin. And she said, "Your private key is like your <laughs> underpants; you don't show them to anyone." <laughs> so that's that is, in fact, is probably even more exclusive than that. I would say. So. Well, depending on how much Bitcoin you have at any given address, yes. it may or may not be a big deal, right? So I'm pretty flippant about my Bitcoin because I have very little of it. But uh, when I had more than 100 U.S. dollars of Bitcoin, I was pretty sure that I made backups and that I knew where my <laughs> private keys were and that they were protected and there were secure passwords and whatever. And encrypted. I, you know, yeah. <laughs> multi-signature, maybe. I don't think that was around back last year. But, uh, yeah. Two no, years it, ago. Yeah, so it's fascinating. So, so, so maybe we've told people what what Bitcoin is. Um, maybe we should uh, tell people why they should care. Like, why why would anyone care about Bitcoin? Like, computer nerds yeah. like me are super into this stuff just because it's you know fun to play with and it's intellectually stimulating to think about. Wow, uh, how does this thing work? And this apparently is real because. Bitcoins used to be kind of uh, just a thought experiment, maybe a, a computer science theory. And then they each Bitcoin, the value spiked like crazy to 1200 What was the peak? 1200 U.S. dollars per Bitcoin. And some of the people that were messing with it years and years and years ago, at the time at least, had lots of Bitcoins. So suddenly some of these people were millionaires on paper and uh, – it's come down since then, but why? Why would anyone like give give the one of the cases or some of the arguments for why people should care about Bitcoin? Why is it Why is it interesting? Well, it's it's the future of money, basically. Something like it will be what we use for money in the future. I, I have no doubt of that. There'll probably always be physical cash or gold or things like that. But when it comes to transmitting money and how it's transmitted. Right now, we use credit cards and debit cards, and whenever you use that, that credit card number is exposed, your personal identification is exposed, your name and address, and your phone number, maybe even your social security number exposed. All of that is used, and it's a system that also is somewhat slow compared to Bitcoin, and it also uh, has fees. There are a lot of fees. There are swipe fees. There are just a percentage that a credit card would take. There is the issue of chargebacks where someone can challenge the, the credit card payment later on, as much as 30 days later. So these all contribute to basically the inefficiency in how we transmit money. So when I when I give you Bitcoin, yeah. there's no Thank fee you. with that? You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you can have most of my Bitcoin right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have much. All right. But that will be probably, your tip for being on the podcast. Yeah, I believe it's a, uh, it's a thousandth of a Bitcoin. That's a, a standard. Basically, it's a penny or two. 
Uh-huh. If if that and I I transmit when I do Bitcoin without a fee all the time. Oh, so there is there is a fee. I think there's for a, when I give you Bitcoin. There's a standard fee, or or there is now, or they they built it into the protocol, but it, it's still not mandatory. You can still send Bitcoin to people. Uh, the advantage is basically Bitcoin is is also a payment processing system, and by including the fee. You will get the people who are processing those payments, and we might get to that later. They're miners, is what they are. They are mining. They're underage. Yes, and that too. When all in a lot of instances. Oh, min- oh yes. miners. No. <laughs> they are both. <laughs> they are both Sorry. miners, and that, that they are under age nineteen, and that they are they are uh, uncovering or revealing the Bitcoin. They are generating bitcoins. So. Yeah. So that that analogy draws into like gold mining, right? Or diamond mining. So the idea is that. Bitcoins can be found in the dirt is kind of the idea, except it's not in the dirt anymore. What it is is this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What it is is that in order to mine, well, before we get into mining though, um, the, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the why people would care. So that's one money transmission. Yeah. Money transmission with very low fees. Yes. And, uh, oh, circulation and wild volatility. So just that's what got me involved, actually, and maybe I've told the story. As like an investment opportunity, like, hey, if this thing's going to spike to twelve hundred dollars, I should own some. That's right, and that's exactly what I did. I saw it back in January of two thousand thirteen. I thought, wow, this is interesting. Uh, What an interesting concept! But I didn't do anything about it. And then in April of two thousand thirteen, I saw it go from about seven to sixty-five dollars. And then, due to a banking crisis in Cyprus. Everyone was hiding their money somewhere, and a lot of it went to Bitcoin. The price spiked up to 265 and then based on a cyber attack on the primary Bitcoin exchange at the time, it dropped back down to 60 again. And I just thought, wow, this has got to get, if it was 265 it's going back up again, yeah. and pretty soon. And so I spent three very late nights doing the learning curve and educating myself, how do I get some Bitcoin? And... I found out how I ended up wiring money to Japan, or it was I think it was Western Union to Japan to a bank there, and they were the bank for an exchange known as Mount Gox. Oh yeah, <laughs> which was uh, which was probably not the best place to send the money, but for a while they were the only game in town, and uh, so I sent it there, and I bought Bitcoin. Then it had been going up steadily, and I bought it for ninety-one dollars a coin or thereabouts at the time. And I held on to it for, for about a week and a half, and it had already gone up to about 160. Oh, so nice. I, sold, I had like all of two Bitcoins. Yeah. And so I gave every penny that I made in net profit to my wife, because that's all I've been doing for those two weeks is just yapping about Bitcoin here and there. <laughs> and she earned every single penny. And uh, I do thank the stars for the good Bitcoin meetup group, and at least my wife probably does too, because it was a good outlet for me to talk about Bitcoin. Oh, somewhere other than home. Right. So, yeah. but <laughs> so that's you how were, I got involved. Was so you were investing with Mount Gox. That's right. A, a year before the the meetup got yeah. started, they, even they were the only game in town at the time. Yeah, yeah. And we knew that there would probably be a problem with them eventually. Yeah. Because their name Mount Gox is actually an acronym for Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. They were originally a trading card company that where you could trade cards and buy cards online, and they adapted their engine to service bitcoins instead. So we probably should have known there was going to be a problem. And I saw the warning signs, as did thousands of people using bitcoin, and got out. And uh, eventually that exchange did fall because of its mismanagement. And uh, 
Uh, I did have bitcoins on Mt. Gox when it fell too. Yeah, I had uh, a quantity known as I had 24 satoshi. A satoshi is a millionth of a bitcoin. So I had somewhere in the way, range of a hundred thousandth of a penny in Bitcoin. And I still have it there. It's still in bankruptcy proceedings, and I get notices for the bankruptcy trustee. In Japanese? In, in Japanese and English on oh, postcards nice. <laughs> and emails about how to uh, enforce my claim. So you're receiving physical postcards and emails <laughs> yes. about your thousandth of a penny worth of this That's asset right. that you yeah. control. I think the postcards cost about a buck twenty-five. Is it only a buck twenty-five? So if I could relinquish my claim, I probably would, just out of uh, compassion to the fellow Bitcoiners who lost a lot more. <laughs> yeah, so. or the Japanese taxpayer. Oh yeah, so who's uh, who's paying for all that? Oh, they'll be fine. Yeah, and that and that's a really interesting aspect about Bitcoin as the years you know tick by is that there are all these headline you know disasters that everybody gets in a huge tizzy about yeah. this thing that just you know exploded and the world is yeah. collapsing and the sky is falling and and yet here we are and it's still worth what is it two thirty no I didn't oh, I didn't it's look like up an, the it's like one hundred eighty now it's it went down forty percent two days ago if you don't if you don't have Bitcoin on your uh, phone, like I developed <laughs> here, I put a bunch of uh, uh, widgets on my phone so I could track the price of Bitcoin. But yeah, it went down in one day just on Monday night. It went from 275 down to about 150 and then popped back up and I think it's about 180 or 190 right now. So yeah. it went up to 220 earlier today. Oh, earlier and, today? Uh, yes, yeah. So okay. it was 1200 back in December 2013, $1,200. Yeah. Today, 180 not a good investment. And in my presentation, too, I have, you know, in year 2013, it was undeniably the best investment. You know, for, if you put $100 in gold, you only made $80. You lost 20 bucks. If you put $80 in Google, you made 300 bucks. If you put it in Bitcoin, you made like $10,000 or something along those. It was a lot of money. 2013, and right? Something, yeah, in year 2013. So we'll, we'll put the, I, I want to get that slide and put it in the show notes. Or sure. I don't yeah, know if your whole. right here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is this is one of the uh, one of the presentations that Matt gives um, around town, and just the the phenomenal return of Bitcoin yeah. as opposed to all of these companies that everyone's heard of that were huge successes in those years, and it's just you know it's just amazing. That that was a year. So you made five thousand dollars a year. To the, if you put a hundred dollars <laughs> on January second, two thousand thirteen, Bitcoin, you made five thousand bucks. You had forty nine hundred dollars of profit. Yeah. But there was a lot of risk involved with that, too. <laughs> yeah. So, and, uh, so when I, they were filming Back to the Future, yeah. instead of Marty McFly and the uh, the sports booking, right? Yes, yeah. It should have been Bitcoin. They should have been uh, talking about yeah. Bitcoin that did not yet exist. It's a, so. a sad lack of vision for the producer <laughs> yeah, exactly. of that movie. You'd think someone with a time machine <laughs> could do better about predicting the future. That's right. <laughs> so... Yeah. Uh, yeah, and conversely, in year 2014, it has been labeled as the worst investment or the, certainly the worst currency investment, even worse than the Ukrainian, uh, the Ukrainian, whatever their unit of currency is. So, oh, do you have a new chart where everything I plummets? do have a new chart that oh, points nice. to year 2014 <laughs> and the, the slow slide down to, uh, yeah. at this stage, it says 300, but it, it's down, like I said, it's much less now. So, yeah. But you know, people because of its volatility, you could you can still make money on it. So the speculation is one thing. You can uh, you can make money selling it short, and a lot of people have made a lot of money selling Bitcoin short or other digital currencies similar to Bitcoin. Um, you could have also uh, another way to make money off it is what's called arbitrage, where you have Bitcoin on one 
place or exchange that you bought for, let's say, $200. But meanwhile, there's an exchange somewhere else in the world that's selling it for $250. And I was doing that quite a bit in 2000, late 2013 and through 14. Uh, sometimes there'd be 50 or 75 or as much as $100 a coin difference between two exchanges on different parts of the world. And so since it's instantaneous, or pretty fast anyway, you would buy Bitcoin on one exchange, let's say in, in London, it's a bit stamp, and then sell it at Camp BX in Atlanta. You buy it on Bitstamp for $200, you transmit it to Atlanta, uh, to that exchange, and sometimes they would want confirmations, or they would want to make sure over a period of time that the transaction was confirmed on the Bitcoin network, and that might take an hour. But one way or the other, it's still a fast way of sending money. And so I would buy for $200 in Bitstamp, sell for $250 on Camp BX, and cash out and repeat the cycle. So yeah, uh, that, those opportunities quite aren't there anymore. But back in the day, back in the heyday, they were all <laughs> over the place. So, And I still have the widgets on my phone, so I could uh, check to see what was going on. So there are still plenty of ways to speculate and use Bitcoin to make money immediately, but that's not what initially interested me. Yeah. And while we're talking about the, the, the making money or the profit motive around Bitcoin, another huge angle to this is the mining that you mentioned earlier. That's right. Yeah. And whole industries have popped up and some of them have, well, it's, it's been an interesting uh, story um, where people are mining Bitcoin. Um, now what that, how, how it works is that there's, well, there's lots of math involved that I don't understand, but there can only ever be a certain number of Bitcoin in the universe, right? So like all of this is software. There's no actual physical thing you can hold in your hand. And all of it's computer software. And the, the protocol says that these are the computer algorithms you use. And the way that more Bitcoins come into existence is through this process called mining. And how mining works is you have to do these really hard math problems trillions and trillions and trillions of times. And once you do that, you find the answer. Other people verify on this network that that is the answer. And now you have successfully mined money out of that Bitcoin. So people have built these massive rooms of supercomputers uh, that do nothing but Bitcoin mining. And hobbyists all over the world have done different amounts of this over the years where either I'll just run a little program on my computer, which mines Bitcoin, or I'll buy custom hardware, which mines Bitcoin. And the custom hardware is specialized hardware that only does the computer, the, the mathematical algorithms that are specific to uh, the mining process, right? So it's faster and more efficient for less power. And in the early days of Bitcoin, it was very easy to mine Bitcoin, right? Back in the day. But, but the, yes. Bitcoin, <laughs> the Bitcoin algorithm uh has a uh what what is the what is the number called where the uh there there's a there's a difficulty of the bitcoin yeah. mining process right and the more people are mining the harder it becomes and the more computational power you need to mine more bitcoin right so the algorithm is supposed to keep in check that no matter how many miners are trying to mine Bitcoin, it's still a scarce resource. Because if it was super easy, if it wasn't a scarce resource, then everyone that's mining would be devaluing everyone else's Bitcoin constantly, right? So my understanding of the uh, the history of Bitcoin mining is that it used to be that hobbyists with their own computers could mine Bitcoin. Sure. And then only people with custom hardware in little you know boxes could mine Bitcoin 
for less than the cost of the electricity to run those boxes to the point now where only people with massive server rooms full of mining equipment that's all custom hardware with custom electricity runs, et cetera, have a shot at mining Bitcoin for less for where the where the amount of Bitcoin that they're mining is more than the cost of the electricity and cooling sure. to mine it at all. Is that is that about right? That's a fair assessment, yeah. And I describe mining again in the elevator speech as just running the Bitcoin program, which is a program that's designed to solve the big mathematical problem that is Bitcoin. I have a minor in math, and so that also interests me from time to time, is how all these computers are trying to solve one incredibly difficult mathematical problem all at once. And the one that solves the problem first gets a reward. And right now it's 25 Bitcoins. Back in the early days, I think it was 100, and it went down to 50, and now it's 25. But it's, it's kind of amazing that anyone is still doing it because the difficulty level is so high that you need either a very powerful machine or a powerful system machine, system of machines linked together, or or mining pool of thousands of people mining and then splitting the proceeds. So it's it's almost completely uneconomical for any individual now to try mining. I was looking into getting some mining hardware back. It was just something that you plug in as a USB port. Wow, this is a special ASIC chip. Yeah. Wow, that'd be nice. And, but by the time I would have received it, it would have been obsolete. Yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, there's been all this drama around the mining companies because there are companies that produce mining equipment yes. and you can go on the internet and buy these machines Rigs. and they'll ship them to you. Yeah. And then you plug them in at your house and you're making money, hopefully. Theoretically. And a lot of the drama that I've heard about is around the fact that the, um, companies that are selling these rigs, can they're very motivated to leave them plugged in by mining Bitcoin rather than ship them to you. Because if they work, people want to, if, if it's, if it works well enough that someone wants to buy it, then that means if they leave it plugged in at the factory, they can make more money than they can by shipping you that unit that they sold you. And so you'll buy one of these. So this has happened in big lawsuits and things. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm spreading lies and innuendo and rumor, but, um, what I've heard is that you, <laughs> that people have bought these units and the manufacturer has not shipped them for 30, 60, 90 days because they're doing quote, extended burn-in trials, you know, for quality <laughs> assurance purposes. That's right. You know, <laughs> when everyone knows that what they're doing is mining Bitcoin and they're not going to ship it until it's, until it's not effective anymore. So by the time you get it, it's obsolete. Sure. That's been the, the thrust of the mining <laughs> problems as I understand it. And I, I know, I know people that work <laughs> nearby that have fallen prey to that. So, <laughs> yeah, I never bought any of that, but yeah, so a lot of the mining companies, I know one has gone under, one is under antitrust or some other scrutiny. And another one has been, uh, chapter 11 bankruptcy or something like that yeah they've had some terrible times so yeah but uh yeah if you want to there are other alternatives where there are alternate coins you know bitcoin is just one of these coins uh it's the prevalent one is the first one but other coins like litecoin was the first big alternative it's also a digital currency but it's mined using a different program that's easier to to use 
And now there are other coins where you don't even have to mine them at all. You just keep your computer running the program, and you get rewarded based upon the number of uh, the number of coins that you have. It's called proof of stake. Whereas uh, it's opposite, or not opposite of, but it's uh, opposed to uh, mining, which is a proof of work, where your computer is solving that problem. Uh, it's not so much of a problem if you have a proof of stake coin. Yeah. There are a bunch of those like Pure Coin or Black Coin are two of the biggest ones. So. Yeah. So the difference there being, instead of getting rich mining by having thousands of machines wasting tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of electricity, doing nothing but solving these mathematical problems that are not doing anything for society. Yes. Right. It's not curing cancer. It's not. It's not figuring out. You know the. It's payment Space. processing is all yeah. good. It's, <laughs> it's, it's making it's, your payment <laughs> processing secure by uh, solving this terrible problem that can't be duplicated so easily. So. Right. So it's intentionally wasting tons of CPU, and that's how it works. So you're saying uh, proof of stake is an entirely different algorithm yes. where you don't waste all these computer cycles, and you can use those computer cycles for you know helping scientists uh, explore black holes and things. And which is hopefully going to turn into something useful for mankind, yes. as opposed to <laughs> just... Not everyone uses their spare processing power that way, but yes, that would be one example yeah, yeah. of what to do with the processing power you're saving by yeah, I was, mining Bitcoin. I so. was briefly in bioinformatics, and there were lots of uh, distributed computing platforms okay. that were doing lots of interesting... Uh, uh, science work that needs tons of processing. And so you can run these little clients and, you know, et cetera. So I would rather have people doing that, which is hopefully scientifically important, uh, than, than just wasting it. But yeah. So the, another interesting aspect I think of Bitcoin is, is all the political ramifications. So like my personal bent on Bitcoin, um, is that I find it amazing to think that at some point we as a, as a, human race might not have to be uh, beholden to our uh, government for uh, our exchange of uh, goods and services in an efficient manner if we choose not to be, right? So there's all kinds of political angles on the, the whole Bitcoin story, too, uh, that, I, that I find fascinating. So if, like me, you've traveled overseas and you've paid insane rates to Western Union to get some money to a foreign country, um, that can be extremely frustrating. And when Bitcoin is nearly instantaneous from anywhere on the planet and the fees are so low, that's extremely attractive. Certainly. And if, for whatever reason, you don't trust uh, whoever is elected president, that you think maybe the national debt's too high, you think there's problems with whatever, and... Uh, and Bitcoin or these alternate coins are uh, a different place that you feel more secure keeping your, your assets, uh, you know, that, that too is an option. And I, I think that's, that's really interesting. And I, I do think, I don't know, I don't know if Bitcoin is going to be the one that uh, is the future, but I think something like it, I, I think that something like it will be the future in the next 50 years. Like, I, I think it's strange that we make all this cloth and, and uh, metal and hand it to people with germs all over it. I mean, I don't, I don't understand what the point of that is when we have the technology we have. Sure. I'm sure there will always be people who want to have that physical gold in their hand or the silver or palladium or whatever they want to trade with, and maybe even uh, something in paper like a Federal Reserve note or something like that. Who knows? But 
Um, you know, the time will come, and it might be faster than 50 years. And uh, it's a digital ledger book that wouldn't necessarily have to be just be individuals using it. It could be institutions. It could be, for example, a, a, an alternative to the SWIFT network that banks use to pay each other. So rather than sitting in a bank for 20 minutes waiting for your wire transfer to go through and then at least be confirmed and then waiting for the money to be transmitted actually to the account overseas, which might take a day or two, uh, the banks would use this system and just immediately credit each other. For example, they would have a digital ledger system. And then you could also have credit yourself on the system and the bank might issue you a, a, a debit card or credit card like the one you have now, but instead of giving a credit card number, it would just be a Bitcoin key. Uh, it would be like Internet cash, and your identity would not be exposed every time you used it. It would just be kind of a, a one-code sort of thing. So uh, there, who knows what it will look like, but I'm confident that at some stage in the future uh, that in addition to the financial institutions already adopting it right now, that banks will see that it's getting more regulated, they'll feel more comfortable with it, and they'll start implementing it to help their customers, if only for the whole identity theft issue. So, And that runs counter the, the – it, it's interesting because you go to these meetings and you find people with all kinds of different motivations that are all at the, <laughs> yeah. at the Bitcoin yes. meetup, right? So. Uh, there, there are people there that are there for very political reasons. Sure. I was surprised there was a, a gentleman there for religious reasons last yeah. time that I found interesting. There are people there that are just wanting to make money. Like, how can I, how can I turn this as an investment? How do I speculate on this and make money off of it? There are computer programmers who just think that the technology itself is fascinating for its own sake, right? And then there are interesting differences of opinion about why is Bitcoin worth something? So like my, my idea is that uh, even if people weren't using it for day-to-day transactions, that it would still be a valuable thing. Sure. And you can use it for uh, some transactions and you can use it for speculation and it still has value. Yep. Other people that have been in Bitcoin for a long time are of the opinion now that, well, they're, they're frustrated with the rate of adoption. It's been around for a long time and it spiked and they bought a bunch of it when it was like high and now they're sick of it don't because hang on the, to those things. Yeah. <laughs> I was telling them even when it was going up, don't hang on to them. <laughs> I would hang on to them for a day or maybe two and that's all I, but yeah, ultimately it's values and it's utility and, and, and making payments with them instantly and without fees and without threat of chargebacks and all that, without but, threat of identity theft. It has value. Yeah. Unlike Warren Buffett would disagree with me. He has disagreed with me. It says that it has no, has no value and stay away. Maybe from an investment, you have to certainly take a very keen eye to it and see if you want to invest. But as for using it, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Well, so. what you said was interesting because you said as banks become more comfortable with more regulation of it. Yes. Well, some people are very motivated by the fact that the government doesn't have their hands on it. Yeah. Well, they do, well, whether they know yeah. it or not. <laughs> they want to deny. There are already existing regulations <laughs> for it. And that's some of the first thing that some lawyers come up to me and ask, well, is that even legal? So, yes, it's legal. It's almost like it's treated as a commodity by the IRS. The IRS has recognized it. The Treasury Department has recognized it. The head of Bitcoin FinCEN, specifically? Bitcoin or, specifically. And or all the coins? All the coins. Okay. And Bitcoin specifically. Digital currencies uh, fall under, first of all, you need, if you're going to deal in them, if you're going to be a dealer or a money transmitter, you need to register with the FinCEN, which is through the Treasury Department. And uh, just register. You need to 
report any suspicious activity. If someone tells you that you are, you're selling Bitcoin to them and they say, thanks, I'm going to use this for drugs now, then obviously you have to report them. You're, you're obligated to report them if, you, if you're selling Bitcoin oh, if kind you, of re- retail. So, if, if you're registered with FinCEN as a money transmitter. Yeah. You should be doing that anyway. Yeah. If you're a money transmitter, then you have right. obligations to know who your client is, KYC. Yeah. And then anti-money laundering, which includes if you know something is going on, then you need to report it. So, And FinCEN said, yeah, that's about it. And then the Commodity Futures Exchange Commission has said, well, if you have derivatives of other things, like uh, if you want to do uh, you know, futures contracts with Bitcoin or, or some of the alternate coins, we cover that and they should be regulated. Uh, so uh, Bitcoin is regulated already on the federal level. It's just it didn't take anything necessarily new. It might uh, where the heavy regulation has come is on the state level because every state licenses money transmitters to some extent. I think two states do not at all, and one state very limited. So the other 47 states of the country, uh, if you're a money transmitter, you need to license with that state separately. You can't license in all 47 states at the same time. You have to individually go to each one, like Western Union has and everything like that. So you need to pay, usually the license fee is at least $1,000. You need to have at least $100,000 net worth. You need to put down a bond. Oftentimes it's at least $50,000. You need to apply. Just the application fee is $1,000, basically. And you might not be admitted. You need to prove to the the powers that be, like in Nebraska, it's the Department of Banking and Finance, that you are responsible, that you have a good background, you have good character, And there's a lot of subjective analysis, maybe even political analysis involved as to whether or not you get your license. We just don't know. But all of that applies only if I want to open a business that is transferring back and forth between U.S. dollars and Bitcoin for a living, right? Like if I just want to use Bitcoin as a citizen. You don't need a money transmitter's license to just use it. And even New York, who has (laughs) proposed the most draconian Bitcoin measures. Oh, really? uh, They still say, yeah, if you're mining it or... Uh, or just using it, uh, no, you're not a money transmitter. Yeah. But if you're uh, in most states, and Nebraska has the moder- uh, model uh, statute involved to regulate just about anything involving money transmission or f- transmission of value, um, probably you are a money transmitter if you are uh, you're a third party and you're bringing people together and you're transmitting funds and receiving funds. and bring, you know, If you're a third party, that might mean that you need a, uh, a money transmitter's license. But even that isn't established. And Kansas, which has the exact same statute as Nebraska, since it was a model statute, um, their department of their equivalent of the Department of Banking and Finance has said, no, you're not a money transmitter, just about even if you do that. And it's very specific when you are actually a money transmitter and you need a license. So that was encouraging from a Bitcoin perspective in that uh, it, it would free up, it would... Uh, make less onerous than just starting out and even just investing in Bitcoin. Yeah. So, so it, there used to be a website where you could buy and sell Bitcoin back and forth to U.S. dollars. There, right? there are a bunch of places like that, yes. yeah. Yeah. Are those, are those do, you, do you have to be a money transmitter to do that legally? I don't, I don't know if you want to give Probably. legal Probably. <laughs> I don't so, know if you're speaking as a lawyer. Right? Yeah. Oh, I'm a lawyer. I can't escape that. <laughs> So you can't uh, like yes. go off the record and <laughs> yeah. So example, uh, one place is Coinbase, and they say uh, we'll sell you bitcoins wholesale. Oh, and that is probably not money transmission. Oddly enough, uh, 
They what? have escaped a lot of the local regulation by saying it's digital currency, we're giving value, and we're paying you a set fixed price, and you're buying it almost like retail, and it's not money transfer. If you're uh, buying it, if it's an entity that's buying from one place and then immediately transmitting to someone else like an exchange, like a currency exchange, then you need a money transmitters for that, is what has been the popular interpretation. Oh, but There's not been any uh, letters or uh, any... Government agencies, very, in very rare cases like Kansas, for example, they have come down and said, you know, here's how to interpret our statutes relative to Bitcoin. But mo nearly all the other states just haven't come down and given an opinion about it. So it's still kind of a gray area right now. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> But, you know, if you are... Uh, but the, uh, there was a little website called localbitcoin.com or something right. like that. Yep. And I could just walk in there and register. That's right. And I could say, hey, I want to buy a Bitcoin, you know, sure. kind of just like... Uh, uh, Craigslist, you know, yeah. where I could just say, I want to buy it and I'll yeah. sell it, for, or I want to sell it and I'll sell it for this much. I want to buy it. I'm willing to pay this much or whatever. Is that money transmission? If I'm taking $100 US and transmitting, is that? Depends on what you're using it for. FinCEN came down with regulations last year. Actually, in each of the last two years, they come out with some uh, regulations or interpretations of their requirements as it relates to Bitcoin. So probably not. Uh, but if you are, if you're in that business, basically, if that's what you're doing, you're buying bitcoins from one person at a discount, and then you are selling it to someone at a markup, you're probably a money transmitter. If you're just on well, there, it's one-time deal, and it's less than a certain dollar amount, it's probably not a problem. Yeah, but, but why? Why would I bother if yeah. I wasn't making a profit? Like, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not running a charity here. Sure. <laughs> like, then, if I'm going to drive across town and give you Bitcoin, <laughs> that's right. But if you're, if you're doing it on a regular basis and that's uh, what you're doing, buying from one person and yeah. selling to another, you're probably a money transmitter. But uh -oh. it's still, it's still very gray area. It's very case specific. There's a guy in Florida who got busted for using local bitcoins, and the Florida state said that, hey, you're not a licensed money transmitter, so you can't be doing that. Yeah. That and it was a setup. Up, it was a sting brought by the state, and they actually told him it was a drug deal. So, yeah. uh, so he had more problems than just being an unlicensed <laughs> money transmitter. Well, I'm so, fascinated by it. Like you know, earlier you said, hey, the banks will, the, the banks will feel more comfortable because there'll be more regulation, and that's that's great. Ten and that's, years from now, yeah, sure. and <laughs> and the the people who are you know survivalist instinct, like I'm going to build a bunker underground and stockpile my guns and food, um, that think that Bitcoin is somehow you know going to survive an EMP blast. I, I don't really understand how Oh, a note electric... will probably survive. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, but those folks want government out of it, right? They want government to not be in it. And then earlier you also mentioned it, it's anonymous or it can be anonymous, yeah. right? And there's all these interesting phenomenon like uh, tumblers where you can take your Bitcoin and you can uh, run them through a whole series of transactions to the point where once it comes out the other side, you can't tell that it was the original money yeah. anymore. We right? haven't touched so, on that, the anonymous factor. That yeah, yeah. Bitcoin is, it's not completely anonymous, but it's certainly more anonymous than... Yeah, you know, so you can else. run it through these things that are like money laundering, right? right? And there have been huge cases, uh, worldwide cases, where they've seized Bitcoin uh, from huge companies that were, you know, openly selling illegal drugs. Yeah. And, yeah. Silk uh, Road. Yeah. Yeah, they found him eventually. <laughs> he wasn't so anonymous. They found him just sitting around in San Francisco. Uh, operating a site and getting bitcoins, and uh, yeah, they got a lot of his bitcoins, but some of them just are, are probably locked in a wallet somewhere, and they can't get to them because only Ross Ulbricht, the perpetrator, the alleged perpetrator, because he hasn't been convicted yet, um, he probably has his wallet key in his head somewhere that he'll use if and when he ever is released from prison. Yeah. So, 
I don't know that he will ever be released from prison, considering the number of drug transactions that were probably processed through the site. Well, the technology is fascinating because, by default, a standard private key that you would have to like memorize if you sure. were trying to hide it from the FBI or something is a big hash of garbage gook, right? Yeah. But there's all the, all these really creative algorithms via which you can take a string of just words and you can turn that into your private key, right? right? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and uh yeah, there's all these amazing, I mean, it's it's a uh, it's a computer programmer playground because yeah. there's all these little f- fancy things. So if you uh, are really interested in having a personalized public address that starts with like your name, you can actually pay companies that will hash through billions of possibilities looking for a a public private key pair that starts with your name and how long your name is drives how much that costs and things. And yeah, it's, (laughs) it's just amazing. So the, and what, what always trips me up about the illegal aspects of these things or the disaster aspects of these things is when the news comes out that someone lost 10,000 Bitcoin or 20 or 30,000 Bitcoin or whatever, what, what apparently a lot of people think is, oh, wow, this Bitcoin thing is a disaster. I need to sell mine and the price goes down. I'm thinking, hey, if there's only ever, is it 12 million, 21 million? Like 21 million. The, so the, yeah. the, the, the peak Bitcoin ever on the planet Earth will always be 21 billion. The, the math of the, the system keeps it that way, so it can't ever exceed that. 21 million max. Yep. Yeah. So the, this is a finite... This is a scarce resource, which is what makes it valuable, right? If anyone could just print Bitcoin like the U.S. government can just print U.S. dollars whenever they choose to, then it's not the, – the scarcity is in question, right? Sure. <laughs> the value of something that's not scarce is in question. But when someone loses 30,000 Bitcoin, what I'm thinking is, oh, great, that makes the remaining Bitcoin worth more money. And so as the price plummets because people are – terrified that they're going to lose theirs sure i'm thinking whoa this means there's less of them they're all more valuable once people realize that won't the price go back up and i'm thinking i should buy some more they might not have been lost they were just stolen and someone else will use them and yeah sometimes bitcoin are destroyed people lose their addresses and they're just out of circulation it's like regular money being out of circulation except yes there's a finite limit to the number of bitcoin that will ever exist and it's a shame when they get destroyed or lost but that's what happens. So Yeah, when you lose yeah. that private key that's a yeah. whole series of garbledygook, yeah. you're done. And, and you can't appeal yeah. to anyone. There's no one to appeal to. You can't just go to your bank and say, hey, let me show you my driver's license because everything, you know, I swear I'm me, so give me my money back. Because that's not how it works. There is no one to appeal to. That's right. And that's why I love libertarians or people who just don't like the Fed and the monetary policy of the United States. They love Bitcoin because it's not it, the money supply is not controlled by the government. It is controlled by the algorithm, and it's a set amount. And uh, and so they love that. And there's been some criticism. I was on a panel with two economists and another Bitcoin enthusiast, actually, uh, back uh, in the fall uh, with the Creighton University. And one of the economists was uh, saying that Bitcoin was terrible because it's deflationary, because there's a set amount, and in fact the number will gradually dec- decline over time. And we wouldn't want a, a currency that's deflationary. But you know, you don't want you don't get Bitcoin because. It's not going to be a national currency probably anytime soon. And secondly, it's a really good uh, alternative to inflation. And I wish at the time I had, and I, I, I do have at home, my $100 billion bill in Zimbabwe dollars. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and so if you want a problem, try runaway inflation that causes your 
$10 loaf of bread to be a $100 billion loaf of bread in the course of a couple months. So people who don't like the Fed and how we can print money and how earlier last year there was talk of the government was going to print a trillion-dollar coin to pay off the part of the national debt. Was there, I didn't or keep hear that the one. government going. Huh. Uh, you know, things like that inspire people to look for an alternative that's probably more real. I don't know that uh, Bitcoin has so much held its value over the last year or so, but it will certainly be more of a, an objective value in that there's just not going to be anything more printed. No one has control over it. Yeah. So it's just it's decentralized and being run on all these thousands of different computers, and it is very disruptive too. So some people like it for for that. It's it's overturning some of the ways how we think about financial institutions and how we transmit money and how we even value things ourselves. So uh, it'll, so it'll be interesting to watch. What is your reaction when these news events come out and? Boom! Someone lost twenty thousand bit or claims that they lost twenty thousand Bitcoin or something. Because to me, that screams yeah. like buying opportunity. That's like, ooh, yeah. If but but the, the market dips. Yeah, that's different, right? But who? But are they? Was it actually lost, or are they just saying they're lost so they don't have to pay taxes on it or something? No, no, <laughs> yeah. But if it's stolen, it just mean the coins are still out there. Someone has, rated, yeah. If it's yeah. stolen, what that means yeah. is someone who did not exchange value for that. Yeah now has my private keys that maybe I don't have a copy of, right? Or they got my private keys that I do have a copy of temporarily, moved it quickly to a different address that I don't control, and now my, my money's gone. Yeah, that happened to Bitstamp, the, the leading U.S. dollar exchange two weeks ago, where they had a hot wallet, and that's their wallet that they use for day-to-day -day transactions. They have what's called a cold storage, which is a wallet that no one, right now it's not active. You can't get to it online. They can't be hacked one way or the other. Bitcoin can't be hacked, by the way, but people who use it can. And so your private keys on your wallet can be discovered potentially. Uh, if they're not encrypted, they can be stolen and used to transmit your Bitcoin. And something like that happened to Bitstamp, where they had $5 million of Bitcoin in their day-to-day -day wallet. Somehow someone got into their system, got that private key, and transmitted the entire private wallet the, that hot wallet, that active wallet, transmitted that value to their own and started spending it and zipping it away, using those coin join services that you mentioned to yeah, the you know, to, to hide where the money was going and things like that. So um, yes, and it's the institutions that you know the people will lose faith in. But Bitcoin itself is still solid. This just means we need greater security. And Bitstamp came back online five agonizing days later because a lot of people use that for payment processing, too. A lot of ATMs were tied to it, uh, things like that. So uh, it comes back online. They said, oh, we're going to implement multi-signature security, which means that you get to keep one of your keys, and they keep a key, and it's impossible to steal something without both of the keys. So uh, so after the fact, they decided to implement this, this security measure now that is pretty much industry standard. Yeah, yeah, and the and the, and hopefully there's not a big gap between industry standard and unbreakable yeah. because yeah. <laughs> I've been doing computers for 20 years and yeah. all kinds of things that were unbreakable got broken. So, but, and so but the price hopefully. of Bitcoin went down. But there's so many com companies you know, you know uh, Microsoft is using it, um, Overstock.com, yeah. Forbes magazine, Time magazine, um, Walmart was using it through gift cards. Here in Omaha, we're basically a payment processing hub here in Omaha. We have First Data. We have, who else do we have? First Data bought 
uh, a Bitcoin-related company. Oh, really? And, is, and so did um, oh, one of the other payment processors here. And, of course, we have PayPal's operations center here in, in yeah. La Vista. Mostly and a call center here, isn't it, I think? It's their primary operations center. Oh, really? They've got okay. a lot of people there, so a lot yeah. of their account managers... I think their headquarters is actually out west in California, but here is their primary operation system, and they've announced that they will incorporate Bitcoin into PayPal services. So, so huh. you might see eBay uh, enabling Bitcoin and and Litecoin. They said they would be using those two coins. So, so it's an exciting time. So you could spend them. You might be able to spend them on on eBay. You might PayPal able, is getting into Litecoin too. PayPal is adopting. That's what they announced was that they were going to do. Um, Bitcoin and Litecoin. No all these other coins, all the you know, like Blackcoin and Peercoin and Darkcoin, which is kind of a, an anonymous type of coin. They all say, hey, why don't you choose us? And, and maybe that time will come. I don't know. But, yeah. But so it's exciting to see all these companies, <laughs> these big companies are adopting it. So if, you're a, if you buy stuff online, Bitcoin's a good idea because the retailer is saving money when you use Bitcoin. If you sell stuff online, you probably want to have Bitcoin as an option because you... Uh, you save chargebacks, you save processing fees, you save all that. Uh, we have um, we set up a charity website, for example. Um, the Omaha Science Fiction Education Society has a digital wishing well where you can cast your digital coins into the well and give them contributions that way. And it's instantaneous, and you can still get that 501c3 contribution deduction, for example. So there, there are a number of ways to use it. There are crowdfunding uh, tying in with the new crowdfunding statutes that are still being in development, using Bitcoin to instantly crowdfund in a matter of hours, where normally it would take you know, weeks or months. Uh, that's an exciting area. Uh, there are smart contracts, uh, where basically it's money that thinks for itself and acts by itself. You set up a contract with someone, and heaven forbid you don't need a lawyer to enforce your contract. <laughs> the money is programmed to enforce your contract for you. Um, things like that, concepts like that, um, that's being developed, and one of them is called uh, Bit Halo or Black Halo, developed by a North Dakota native named David Zimbeck, and he has developed a system of a double escrow. You put an escrow, you send money, you get something back, and you can trade anything with it, and it's secure. Unlike, you know, for example, you use eBay, you send, you send your money to someone in Russia who sends you something back and you wind up getting a box of coal or an empty box or something and there's not much you can do. Or you find out you got a charge back on the credit card that was used for the purchase of your items. So, well, so I, uh, I think I know what escrow is. What is yeah. double escrow? What does that mean? A double escrow is both sides will put in money into an escrow account. Oh. And that's the security for the transaction. So if the security goes bad in this model, in this halo model, uh, both escrows are destroyed. So if you are sending 50 bucks and you have 100 bucks in escrow, you're going to want to perform on that contract. You're, you're strongly motivated to perform on the contract because you're going to lose more than you can possibly gain. Yeah. And oh, that's wow. all programmed. It's automatic. If you don't perform on the contract, you lose all the money. Yeah. And so uh, uh, it's, it's called trustless. It's a trustless transaction. You don't need trust on the other side. You can bet that they're self-interested enough to know they're not going to want to lose more than they could possibly gain. So I'm so glad that's another humanity, humanity is evolving to the point where we don't have to trust anybody that's anymore. That's right. <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> there are still some benefits to trust, but, yeah, you don't have to. So. Yeah. The, we were talking earlier about um, when, when, the, when money is stolen – 
or when money uh, is seized by the the government shutting uh, shutting down Silk Road and or other illegal activities. And uh, I had heard stories. Of, it's it's fascinating because, like you said earlier, it's it's all just a public ledger. Anyone in the world can go right now and download the entire history of every Bitcoin that's ever transferred between any two people. Every ever. transaction. Every it's transaction that record. has ever occurred is out there. And everyone, anyone can download it and take a look. And um, this is just part of the mechanism, the, This how Bitcoin works. So when money is seized or when money is stolen, it's fascinating to think that what's happened is that the public or sorry, the private address, the the, the the private key that used to control this money transferred that money into another address, but that first person doesn't control that second address at all anymore. But it's right there. Like you can stare at it in the, <laughs> you can stare at it in the, uh, the blockchain, this, this ledger thing. You can stare at it and you go, there's my money. It's right there. <laughs> That's my money. And when the FBI seizes something, right? What they're doing is transferring out of it a location where the criminal has it. And putting it in a place that only the FBI controls. But the criminal can see it's still there, right? So the it's, whole it's world the can same. see it's yeah, still there. Everyone knows where that yeah. money is. In fact, the FBI <laughs> was educated on this process because they took the Silk Road money from El- Ross Ulbricht and they put it into account and they announced how much money, how many Bitcoins they had seized. So it was obvious, you know, there's the account right there on the blockchain, the, the public record of Bitcoin. One of the aspects of Bitcoin is that you can send messages along with your entry into the blockchain. You can type a a short little message along with it, and that appears on the blockchain for everyone to see for as long as the blockchain is running, which might be eternity. So when that happened, people would send, a number of people decided to send to the FBI's wallet a number of interesting messages, usually just sending like a couple Satoshi or a millionth of a Bitcoin. But along with that millionth of Bitcoin was a nice little message about what they thought of the FBI, what they thought of the FBI's parentage and specifically their mothers, <laughs> what the FBI should go do with itself. I think that's probably a very diplomatic way of saying that there are lots of interesting messages that were being sent to the FBI, several thousands of, of them. So does that uh, mean the blockchain is not safe for work because people have put <laughs> they can put bad messages words in there? That are, a lot of people are saying that the blockchain has a, has a number of uses, including almost like a notary or public record. You can use it as a register of deeds. It's a public shared record of what is. You can encrypt or uh, or place a photograph of something into the blockchain and integrate it in the blockchain. So it's instantly verifiable by 10,000 different sources what it is you put on the blockchain, what it says, what it means, and when you put it in. So it's another use of a, of a blockchain. I've heard I've heard this proposed as a, a copyright mechanism. Sure, that's right. Where mm-hmm. if I've got an idea and I want to get a copyright on something, yes. if I put it in the blockchain, it is undeniable that I did that on that day. That's right. Right? Or that someone did that on that day. And if, I can, if I'm the only one that can access that address, I guess it's provable that it's me. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I and I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Because images are huge compared to the compared to the little tiny messages that are required to send money around. Yes. Right? Throwing an image in there is massive, right? And you don't want the blockchain to be terabytes of people's junk photos. Blockchain bloat is what that's called, yes. Is there a lot of blockchain bloat? There will be someday as people use it for more and more. And it's like, hey, I want to take uh, my pictures and share them on the blockchain. And yeah, there'd be. Yeah, it becomes my Facebook wall someday. That's right. Who knows? It's all just very fun. And, you know, it's, uh, you can take it as seriously as you can be a, 
uh, an attorney who's thinking about compliance issues, or you can be that guy on ESPN's uh, game day college bowl back uh, last year where he lifted up a sign with a QR code and said, Hi, Mom, said Bitcoin. And people would send him Bitcoin. They sent him $22,000 in Bitcoin. <laughs> and you can tell because the QR code is right there. And you can go to the blockchain and see that address got $22,000 in Bitcoin. Yeah. And uh, so you, you can use Bitcoin for any range of a number of things that might amuse you or, uh, or give you money or just to plain not. Yeah. Well, and the the Haitian Bitcoin project was uh, a really fascinating uh, effort or idea. the The idea was there are uh, tons of uh, of of people working in Florida that are sending money uh, to Haiti as remittance. Is that what it's mm-hmm. called? Uh, to their family members. Um, to support them back home, right? And Western Union is insanely expensive. Now, earlier I was complaining about Western Union, but that was just me being a tourist and not, you know, being too cheap to spend 50 bucks. But this is, you know, people that don't have a lot of money to begin with trying to send their money uh, to their relatives back home who really, you know, need the support. And the the processing fees for that through Western Union are just, you know, outrageous, you know, and to... The, the the Bitcoin or sorry the uh, the the Haitian uh, project that was at least proposed was to put uh, ATM machines in Haiti, and so people working in Florida could transmit for very low fees, but still high enough fees that the business could turn a profit, right? But still way cheaper than Western Union, so it's like a win-win scenario thanks to technology, where they can transmit value to their family members in Haiti who can go to their local bodega and pull out uh, pull out money for groceries or whatever else they need. And I thought that was just a, an amazing idea. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't know what the status of that idea is, if you know. There are thousands <laughs> of ATMs now around the world that can take Bitcoin, Bitcoin ATMs? And some of them are not specifically Bitcoin ATMs, but there are a certain type of, uh, of ATM that can be used where you can transmit money by email. And you can quickly adapt. There are programs that allow you to use Bitcoin for that. So that effectively enabled thousands of Bitcoin teller machines in Europe, in Latin America, and the United States and Asia to just instantly accept Bitcoins. So that's a, that would be a good way if you have if you're traveling overseas or you have family overseas and you want to send the money or you want to go to England and and save some uh, money in. Uh, converting your U.S. dollars into British pounds, and you just want to buy Bitcoin here and then uh, use the Bitcoin to buy pounds when you get there. Uh, there are a lot of ways to transmit or remit money that yeah, would be a good alternative to... Oh, that's great. I didn't know that so, had taken off. I yeah, thought that was just an idea someone had that wasn't yet in the world. Every day it seems like there, there are a lot more of these uh, adaptations. And, and so now Nebraska has its first ATM that is Bitcoin capable, and that will be a lot of fun. So tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. Free cupcakes, I'm told. So I'm there. January sixteenth, so. two thousand fifteen. That's right. Five uh, o'clock to seven p.m. If I really get on the ball, I'll release my previous podcast and this one tonight, I guess. Okay. <laughs> before I get I'll on a plane in the morning. Before you get on the plane, I gotta hurry. <laughs> I might need to let you go then. We've been talking in an hour. I don't know of anyone who can listen to me for an hour. <laughs> well, yeah, but my the, the first one of these I recorded was on Monday, and okay. uh, it was two hours and forty five minutes. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we'll just, uh, yeah. But yeah, we can wrap this up whenever you want. Yeah, so one one last thing, maybe, is uh, when 
tax time comes and you're holding Bitcoin or you bought and sold Bitcoin, is there now a tax burden? Like, so it's January and it's not, March is not far away. Yes. And I'm thinking, huh, what, what am I supposed to do? Not that I, not that I personally, Jay Hanna sold or bought any Bitcoin in 2014, but if I had, Is do I need to now register that as a? How does that work? You don't have to register it. You do have to report it though. If you had a as capital gain, yeah. capital gains. It's right. a capital gain. Uh, the IRS treats it as a commodity. It's almost like you bought gold or. Is it like my Scott trade account, like stock? Oh yeah, just same about thing? the same thing. It's a commodity, and so to the extent that it appreciated, uh, that's a capital gain when you cash it out. When so, I sell it, yes, that's right. When you okay. sell it. And that's been a problem for a lot of people because they say, I want to buy a cup of coffee. I bought my Bitcoin at $200 a coin and now it's 205 Do I need to report those pennies of capital gain that I, you know, it's just not practical. If you're going to use it as a currency, it can't really be used also as a liability for capital gains purposes. So um, would, it, would it not be, I mean, theoretically, the technology would be simple to scan the, uh, to scan the uh, blockchain for the addresses I controlled over That's the course right. of the year yeah. and kick out a report for me that says, oh, by the way, you owe the IRS a dollar forty-two. Yeah, we would have to calculate what the value of Bitcoin was on at on the a time, pre- right. prevalent exchange rate. So I'd have to have a database of yeah. or something. Oh, it's an interesting. I wonder if there's a business the for that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so uh, you know, you I'll run your business rich. with Bitcoin. It's easy to do the accounting because it's all there. So. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, <laughs> yeah from starting the history. As, so yes, it's treated as uh, capital gains. Now the IR, that's the Department of Treasury and the IRS seem they're in the same building, but they seem to have some different opinions. But ultimately, the IRS came out and said uh, we're treating it as a currency for tax purposes. So if you had a gain, you get a capital gain. You have up to three thousand dollars in capital loss that you can report then too. If you lost money, like a number of people did. On Bitcoin, and certainly if your bitcoins are stolen, then you can report the loss. Is there a minimum and threshold for what you're supposed to report? No, there's not. It's capital gains. Yeah, so. okay, but only if I sell. It. Okay, yeah, That's if right. I sell, when it. you cash it out, if you hold on to them. But there's no really company. So like on my, so I use Scott Trade for day trading. Sure, you know the, I day trade like twice a, a year. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like I'm like, oh hey, Tesla stock, yeah, I gotta buy right, one, good. <laughs> you know, or whatever. And uh, yeah, I don't pay any attention at all, but. Um, there's no company that's going to send me a report, right? Like what's lovely about First National Bank and Scott yeah. Trade and all these institutions is they're keeping track for me. Sure. And donations that I made to 501c3s are keeping sure. track for me. Mm-hmm. And when January rolls around, they send me letters and say, hey, hand this to your accountant. That's right. But there's no company that's going to do that for my Bitcoin, well, right? Well, the exchanges will keep track of your of your buys and sells, basically. The purchase you made, what you sold, and what you sold it for. And if you have Excel uh, or just want to do the math by hand for fun, you can find out what your gains and losses were. Yeah. So, and that's that's what I've done is just I have an Excel program. I started using it last year because that's the only time I really had anything significant in the way of gains. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I use that for uh, um, uh, just to keep track of the year 2014 gains and losses. So. Yeah, and, and super quick, let's touch on this before I let you go. Um, the... Uh, easiest way to get started, probably, if someone wants to get started nowadays. Good question. The easiest, cleanest, simplest way, maybe not the most cost-effective way, but just to get started as an easy way to get started. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, Coinbase.com. I think that's is a good the way. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, uh, 
that'll get you going. You have to link up your bank account and yeah. give them their credit card. So it takes some time, and they will charge a markup when you buy. Right. And they'll charge you a fee also when they, when you buy. Uh, but it's it's and so it takes some time. If you just want to go bam into it, you go to that ATM down at Exarbon and put oh, right. your money and and take it out. See, I'm thinking yeah, in my 2014. There's an, pattern. <laughs> there are other exchanges too. If, if you can get started in 15 minutes, there's a place called uh, Coin MX out of Austin, where you uh, take a video of you and your driver's license and you and your credit card, and in 10 minutes you're buying Bitcoin with a credit card. Oh wow! And so there are a lot of good places that you can buy uh, Bitcoin quickly and easily now, as opposed to two years ago when back in the old days, back in the yeah. horse and wagon days, where you had to go to Walmart and get a wire transfer to that Japanese bank and, and hope you bought before a certain time. So now you can get going about 15 minutes. If you're so if I go to Jones Brothers, sure. I can stick $20 bills into yep. this machine, yep. and it goes, hey, you stuck in $60. That's right. And then I go, print Bitcoin. That's right. And what I'll get is a slip of paper with a QR code on it. That's right. And then if the program I want to use to manage my wallet... Yes. Happens to be on my phone. Yes. I pull out my phone. I run that program. Yes. And I take a picture of that QR code that that ATM just kicked out for me. That's right. And once I've done that, it goes, hey, cool. And it's it, and now it knows that I have that Bitcoin and that Bitcoin's mine and it's in my phone. Then I can walk over to you and I can say, hey, I'll buy that tie off you for 0.2 Bitcoin or 3 <laughs> it's worth Bitcoin more than that. whatever it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bitcoin's worth Um and you say, okay, and you pull out your phone, right? And now we both have our phones, and I go, I'm going to transmit. I type on my phone, I'm going to transmit three Bitcoin. And you show me your QR code, I scan yeah. it with my phone, and it's done. And boom. So, bam. And I get done. Paid. I get my tie. Yeah. And then, uh, and then the, the double, uh, what was it we were talking earlier about? A double, double escrow. escrow. Yeah. We didn't hire those people. That's right. But if we had. Yeah. They would not destroy our hundred dollars. That's right, <laughs> because we had successfully. Well, they're not people. It's just a protocol. There are no people involved. That's the beauty of oh, it. The too. Double... There's no third party at all. It's just the pro... it's the program. Oh, I have to commit to the program. That's right. This is my money. You will destroy if I am a bad I will person. Destroyed if you don't perform. But if so. one of one side or the other, either side. It goes bad, and yeah. both of us lose out. That's right. Which motivates both of us not to have it go bad. That's right. Okay. That's not very good for dispute resolution, though. Like, if he's definitely in the wrong, <laughs> and I'm definitely pretty hardcore. Guy. Well, then the other guy is going to lose more than he gains. So right, right. That's, Hopefully uh, he'll go out of business pretty quick. <laughs> that, that, that's not a good business model is to lose $2 for every one you gain. So Yeah. Well, thanks so much. This has been yeah, fantastic. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. So here in the... Headquarters with this TARDIS next to us, and uh, yeah. Pro- yeah, this is a pretty nice place. So, yeah. but yeah, I appreciate you having me, and enjoyed. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed this time. And if you want me back, by all means, I would enjoy coming back. Well, so. I'll see you at the Bitcoin meetups. I'm sure. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I'll put on the show notes. I'll put whatever information you want, your contact information, if you yeah. want yours or Maybe whatever the you want. Address to. Yep. And uh, we oftentimes meet at Pizza West, and here in uh, in. Uh, Papillion or La Vista? I think it's La Vista. Uh, it's a pizza yeah. place, and they take Bitcoin now. So uh, that's pretty good. I tried place. to pay with Bitcoin, and the waitress didn't know how to do it. Oh, okay. Is that how solved? Is that I... a solved problem? They, they've been doing it for a, little a couple while. months ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, thank you again. Yeah, thanks so much, fun. Matt. I appreciate it. Bye. So actually, I have to let. We have to do ten seconds of silence, okay. which captures this fan. 
and then I highlight that. Okay. And then I tell it, hey, this is the background noise. And it goes, okay. And then it removes it from the whole track. Okay. So here we go. Ready? Shh. <laughs> 